The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. Well, we are in John chapter 4, and I want to finish up John chapter 4 today. And there is a lot. There's a lot in here. So uh, I'm going to talk fast. You listen fast. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 4 and beginning in verse 29. Uh, Just kind of back up a bit. So remember, Jesus said the woman with the well. He's talking to about him being living water, about eternal life. And revealing to the woman that he's Messiah. She, the disciples come back while she's talking. She leaves. She goes into the city. And she says in verse 39, she goes into the town. And she tells the town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Is this, could this be the Christ? And it says, then they went out of the city to come to him. So we pick up that in verse 39, that says that many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him uh, for the saying of the woman, what the woman testified to them, and how he told her everything that he ever did. So when this, then the Samaritans come out of the city, and they, when they get there, they ask Jesus to come and stay with them, and it says he stayed with them two days. And then verse 41, and says, and many more believed on his own word. And then the people said to her, they said, you know what? Um, Now we believe. So she testified to them. They go out and they see for themselves. They say, now we believe. Not because of what you have said. But it's interesting. What she said started them on a pathway. But they said, now we believe because we have heard him for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So in verse 42, this woman, if you could think about it, this woman was a link. She was like a link in this, her testimony because of her words. Uh, she was this link in this chain bringing these people to salvation and you know, I've made comments a lot of times. There are just a lot of nudges in our life that get us to encounter Jesus. There are events that take place in our life. There's words that speak, people speak to us uh, that bring us to this place. And so we need to understand the power, like I said last week, the power of our personal testimony is like a link for people around us. It points them to Jesus, the one who really is going to be the one that is going to bring them to a place they need to be, the realization of the need of salvation. And so there's two things that are kind of highlighted here. There is the power of a testimony, a personal testimony, and then there's something about the encountering Jesus for yourself. But one leads to the next. And so her testimony started in them on the way to Jesus. I was thinking of that verse in Romans 10, 15. It says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So they're saying, now we've heard for ourselves and we believe what you said is true. 
He is the Savior of the world. So Jesus, then it says, Jesus and his disciples, they minister in that town of Samaria for two days. And when they left, they left a large group of believers. But after two days, verse 43, they take off and they're going, they're leaving Samaria and they're going to Galilee. Now, verse 44 says, Now Jesus himself pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So somewhere between them being in Samaria and them arriving in Galilee or maybe even having arrived in Galilee, Jesus speaks this to his disciples. The prophet has no honor in his own country, but then in verse 45 it says, when they arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So it kind of seems like this contradiction uh, because it said they welcome him, but uh, it's because they had, they, he qualified it. They welcomed him because they had seen what he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Now, remember in John chapter 2, verses 23 and 25, Jesus, John talks specifically about Jesus in Jerusalem at that Passover. So you have them at the Passover. There's some stuff that goes on. Jesus arrives in Galilee. They welcome him because they what they saw there. But in John chapter 2, verse 23 and 25, um, it says this. When Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But verse 24 says, but Jesus... He did not trust himself to them, to the people, because he knew all of them. There were, and there was no need for anyone to tell him about them, because he himself knew what was in their hearts. So it seems like John is inferring that those who were in Galilee were not welcoming Jesus because of who he was, because he was the Messiah, because he came to give him good news about the kingdom of God. They were welcoming him, he says specifically, because of the signs and miracles. So they possibly were there welcoming him simply so that they could watch, they could see, they could gain from him doing miracles. Not gain from him being Messiah. So it's kind of this irony that is taking place here. And so verse 44 then says, Once more he visited Cana Galilee where he turned water into wine and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went up and begged Jesus to come and heal his son who was close to death. So if you geography, uh, Capernaum is about 20 miles away from Galilee. And so this man, he's traveled 20 miles now, today, that's really no big deal for us, depending on where you live or how you drive. You might get 20 miles in 15 minutes, or it might take you 30 minutes. Fred could probably do it in seven, right? <laughs> no, not you. Your son. Which one? Well, I wouldn't know, Levi. Who would that possibly be that could get there that fast? Oh, there he is. <laughs> so... We have to understand back then it would have taken some five or six hours, whether he traveled on a donkey or a camel or he walked. Five to six hours at a minimum, it would have taken him to go. Now, remember that this man went to Jesus to beg and to plead with him, to come with him 
so that his son could be healed because his son was at the point of death. So his son's at the point of death, and he's got a five, six-hour journey. So he's intent on reaching Jesus. And it says that when he went, and he went to Jesus, it says he was pleading with him. In other words, a phrase as the idea is he kept asking of Jesus to come with him to heal his son. So, now, let just kind of pause. If you need to do it, close your eyes, but just drop into the scene. I think that there's some things that we might be able to see here. You have to, you have to know that Jesus arriving in Galilee was a big deal. The whole town would have come out. The word would have spread fast. The whole town would have come out. Now, I remember when I went to Africa, and we were going from village to village back in the backwoods where there was just only footpaths. And when we arrived, the whole village came out. The word would have traveled. So the whole village is out there. Now, think about this. The whole village is out there because Jesus, this miracle worker that was in Jerusalem at the feast, Healing people, doing signs and wonders is in our town. So I'm just, it's not hard for me to imagine that the whole town's come out. They're grabbing everyone who is lame and sick, and they're coming out and they're pressing around Jesus. Kind of reminds me of the woman who had the issue of blood. It says that she had to push her way through to get to Jesus. Now, this is the scenario. This is the scene. And this guy traveled five or six hours. His son's at the point of death. He's got this desperation to get to Jesus. So I don't know how that big that crowd was. And I'm sure that the crowd, it was noisy. I'm sure there was a lot of commotion. I'm sure that there were a lot of people shouting things out to Jesus. Heal my son. Do this for me. Do that for me. He's there, and John said, specific, we're going to see specifically, that was the implication. They were just wanting him to do something for them. They weren't gathered around Jesus to hear about him being Messiah, Savior of the world, about entering into the Father's kingdom. That's not why they're all coming out pressed around him. The majority of the reason John is stating they come around him so that they could get something from him. So here's the situation. A huge crowd, and then there is this persistent man. Remember uh, the story of Bartimaeus, a blind man sitting by the road, and he hears that Jesus is coming, and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people are going, shh, 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 be quiet, be quiet. And it says, but as he approached, he yelled all the louder. In other words, it was as he continued to approach, he got, Jesus continued to approach, he kept getting louder and louder until Jesus finally said, hey, bring him to me. And when they bring him, brought him to him, Jesus says, what do you want from me? And so, you know, thinking about those two scenarios that are there, this man, what's in his heart and what he's wanting for Jesus for his son. Now, here's the thought. This nobleman, okay, so all of Judea, 
This man's in Capernaum. Jesus arrives in Judea, 20 mile, Galilee, 20 miles away. This man heard Jesus was there. So the man had heard about Jesus. And it, this probably wasn't the first time he had heard about Jesus. He just heard that Jesus was there. Because the word about Jesus was all over. But this man didn't go to Jesus until... He didn't go to Jesus until his son was near death. That's what moved this guy. Otherwise, if his son would have never been dead, he might never have gone to Jesus. So I said that the reason the people are out there, Jesus reveals it in verse 48. He said, you know what? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So all these people around him shouting things, and Jesus basically rebukes them and says, you know what, it's not just about the signs. You need to see more than the signs. And to me, the admonition that Jesus is getting, John is getting at with Jesus is almost like to the people, are you prepared to believe that I am Messiah? Because that's where you need to get. Signs and wonders are one thing, but they point to who I am. And they point to who I am so that you might believe who I am so that you might have life through his name. That's John's topic, remember? That's why John is writing. It's almost like, believe in me, and then you will see who I really am. And so, this was one of the main criticisms that uh, Jesus leveled against the Jews, especially the religious leaders. They were constantly demanding a sign that he was who he said he was, right? And here's the funny thing. He was doing all kinds of signs that pointed to who he was and who he said he was. But they refused to believe them. They refused to believe that those signs were the signs that pointed to Jesus in being Messiah. Remember in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus quoting Isaiah the prophet. This is interesting for us to even understand today. He said, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now think about that a lot. Because today there are signs everywhere that point to Jesus being Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and yet the condition in man's heart is the same. The hearts are calloused. Their hearts are hard so that they hardly hear and their eyes are closed. Hmm. You know, it's, you think about it, the people are welcoming. The people were happy to receive the miracles, Right? They're happy to receive the blessings of God. They're happy to have God heal them. They're happy to have God bless them in some way, but not so much in the commitment to Him. It's almost like, I'll take God's blessing, but hey, not going to change my life. Jesus is going, yeah, your life needs to change. And then the blessings will come. So, Probably, then, remember, again, it says that this royal official is saying, hey, sir, come, 
before my child dies. And remember, he's pleading with Jesus. He keeps asking Jesus this question. So, again, imagine the commotion. And there is all this going on. I'm sure that people are vying for Jesus' attention. If you could imagine it, he's standing in the middle of the crowd, and he's hearing and seeing all kinds of things, yet this man is there. The man is consistently asking Jesus, Sir, my child, my young son is at the point of death. Please come and heal my son. And then there's 50 other people asking things of him. That's the, that is the scene. And Jesus, at some point, because of his persistence, he looks at him, he says, go your way, your son is healed. And the guy's going, whoa, hold up the bus. Now, now I don't know. Think with me if, if I'm thinking correctly about this. Jesus tells him, go, your son will live. Now, again, he's, he came to Jesus because he heard that Jesus goes into towns and he performs miracle, and he heals people. That's what he believed for. So it's almost like, uh, you know, the man, he, did, he went to retrieve Jesus, <laughs> to bring him back to heal his son. And it's almost like, I believe because of all that I've heard, that if you come with me, you can heal my son. But when Jesus tells him, to go, your son will, will be healed, it's almost, like, it's almost like Jesus knows what's in the mind. The guy believes that if Jesus comes with him, his son could be healed. And Jesus is basically saying to him, you go and your son will live. Can you believe me for that? That just has really hit me this week. Taking... What did the man do? It says he took Jesus at his word. And what was the result of it? His son was healed. And I think often for us, it's almost like, can you believe me for that? Jesus has spoken. God's word is his spoken word to humanity. Can you believe that? So in whatever situations you find yourself in life, he's already spoken. Can you believe what he has said? And can you go your way? Can you get to the place where you encounter Jesus, He somehow says something to you, reminds you of His Word, can you believe Him for that? Can you go on trusting that He will do what He said He would do? Can you believe Him for that? Can you believe Him in His Word? Trusting that the evidence of your faith will be there at the end. The miracle was performed when the man believed, but the visible—think about this—the visible evidence was further on down the road. And for us, it reminds me of uh, Hebrews eleven one. You know, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead.
I love that Living Bible Translation. Now, don't think that you're going, hey, what I want is, uh, you know, I, you know, uh, how, how do I do this from young to old? It's all the same. Uh, gold and glitter. It's, Jesus is not talking about any of that. It's about wanting the will of God in our life, the things of God in our life. It's having, believing for those things that God says that He wants for us. Trusting that evidence, I love that, trusting the evidence that faith will be at the end. It will be ahead of us. And then here's the beauty about that. Well, I think we can testify to it to all of us can because sometimes we needed to believe God's Word. And then when He comes through, you believe again in the certainty of His promise and of His work in your life. So you get to believe, <laughs> and then you get to believe again. <laughs> I love that. You're in a tricky spot, whatever it is. And whatever it is hitting your life, there's that happening, and yet there is in you, because the Spirit of God is in you, there is that believing. And then at some point, that manifests itself, and then there's your believing again. How good. That's it's kind of like what happened to this guy. He, he believed. He saw his son alive and living, and he believed again. He believed more certainly about who Jesus was. And so for us, it's the same way we believe. Then we get to that place where God does what only God can do, and we get to believe again. The certainty of his promise that he's spoken to us in our lives. Right? It says, so the man goes on. Verse 51, but while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And then the man inquired. This is interesting. The man inquired as to the time when his son would get, got better. And they said to him, well, it was yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him. It says, then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, go, your son will live. So now this nobleman believes further that not just that Jesus can heal, but who Jesus is. Jesus did what he said he would do. He healed his son. But now the man believes that Jesus is Messiah and he shares it with those around him about what the Lord has done. And then it says, so that he and his whole household believed. You know, um, I think I said it last week, I don't believe in coincidence. December 3rd, 1978, coincidence is out the window. It's not about coincidence, it's about connecting the dots. Sometimes they're just, you know, we go, oh, that's serendipity. You know, happy coincidence. There's no serendipity in you serving Jesus. There's maybe happy things that take place, but it's not coincidence. It's connecting the dots about what God does and how God does what he does in our life. I mean, I can tell you right now, I've heard it in, uh, I've heard it in people's lives all the time. You know, they're, they're amazed at coincidences. And the funny thing is they... they, they say they're believers, and they, but they call them coincidences, but they really don't attribute them directly to the action of God in their life. 
It's like, oh, eh, happy coincidence. And it's said, have you ever thought maybe providence? Everything maybe God was in, <laughs> God was in the middle of that? <laughs> uh, any thoughts? Anybody got any thoughts up to this point? Hang on, let me get you, Mike. And believes and Jesus says, rather the one who doesn't see and yet believe. Because I mean, faith, if you see something, it's not faith, right? It's faith is putting your faith and trust in Christ for things that you do not see. It's just like salvation. We have salvation, but it's by faith that we recognize that. So I just think it's, it's amazing how, and like you said, it's cool because the Bible shows many um, examples throughout history where God is faithful, and He's always faithful. And yet, sometimes we're still like, well, are you really going to do that? Well, look at my track record. If I say I'm going to do it, I do it. And that's the goodness of God. Anyone else? Someone else? Uh, Doug? Um, I just like the fact that we have many more examples of this, right? We have um, in the Gospels, we have the centurion, we have the lady who was bleeding, we have, you know, Lazarus, story. Uh, I mean, so many things that just talk to point, that point and talk about who he is. Not just Miracle Max or mir the miracle worker. You know, he actually is by faith, right? Mm -hmm. This. Those people who come and bring their friend and put him through the roof so he can walk again. I hmm. mean, it, that kind of faith is what Jesus is looking at. And those people walk away believing. Hmm. Right? And that's the purpose of the gospel. Yeah, and like you said, away. Keith, it was, if you see it, it's not faith. So we under, need to understand that faith is in the answer. Like, it's like the substance of our faith is in front of us. It's in front of us. It's ahead of us. And so, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking Jesus, Jesus is saying, um, go and you'll see. He believed him because of what he heard. Now he wanted him to believe it for himself because he saw it for himself. Any thoughts, Robert? Just a, a little different, though. One of the things, too, is that you, location does not equal limits, right? Because mm -hmm, he, he comes to Jesus, his kid's 20 miles away, and a lot of times miracle workers, they're doing miracle work quote-unquote, with the person in front of them. And Jesus is like, okay, your son is healed. And he's not even there. And, and, and so the guy goes 20 miles you know, or halfway there, and then he finds out that at the exact time that Jesus said he's healed, he was healed. There was no isolation because God's power is beyond limits, beyond locations. And he didn't have to be there to do that. And this is the second sign, according to John, you know, you know, within John's gospel. The first sign, Jesus is physically there. Okay, he turns, what, water into wine. The second sign, I'm not even there. Mm. And look at this power. And, and so you can see, as John is showing, the power, the life that Jesus brings isn't relegated to the location that Jesus is in. It's and so it's just mm. kind of cool. That's good. Uh, yeah, it's all good. The omniscience of God. Someone else?
Thoughts? All right. So, you can kind of notice um, there is this progression in this man's faith. So, you know, he had faith in the reputation and power of Jesus to heal this miracle worker. He believed that about him. Then when he got to him, he had faith to believe that what Jesus said he would do, he would do, and that would be heal his son. Then he sees that miracle, right? Now his faith moves into believing in the person of who Jesus is. He is truly the Messiah. So this man's faith had uh, some immediate physical results, but also we learn that it has eternal results. Now, it's interesting to note that in this healing, it was faith that produced this miracle of healing, and then the miracle of healing produced faith in Jesus being the Messiah. And so signs in God doing miraculous things among us isn't specifically for the sign. It, the sign is to get you to see the reality of who Jesus is so that you might believe in him and have life. And this is what John has been talking about. This is what, back at the end of the book, he, he tells us when you go to the book, when, from the front of the letter, I'm writing these things, I'm bringing up the reality of these signs for this particular purpose, and we get to see that played out right here in this, uh, in this man's life and then in his household. So it all started, this whole thing started because of this man's dire situation. It all started because he heard that Jesus had the ability to meet a need, and how often, I wonder, when we're sharing our testimony, how it sparks hope in people's lives that Jesus can meet their need. See, it's just a, often it's like, we, okay, we got we to gotta have, have a wealth of knowledge before we can say anything, and that's not true. We testify to our encounter with Jesus. So my encounter... And my testimony was, man, I was running after all these things and come to find out I didn't need to run after them. I had an emptiness in my life and I had no idea what the emptiness there. I was trying to fill with everything else and boom, others come, uh, are drawn and find hope in Jesus because of other things, because of a need in their life. Yes, everybody has a need in their life for salvation. There is this vacuum in God's life. God has set eternity in the heart of man. Yes, that's there. But there's all kinds of other things that people are, are in dire situations about. And then they hear about a hope. I, I, you know, me being a Gideon for a few years back when I owned my business, I can't tell you of the hundreds of testimonies that I got to hear and read about people hearing about Jesus, 
because of their situation and finding hope in Jesus for their situation. They heard, and so they, they went, so to speak. They did what I did. Look, God, if you're really there, uh, you, you know, I'm screwed up. You know, if you're really there, I, I guess I just need you to show me. <laughs> Pray that prayer once, see what happens. He will begin to move on your life. Good stuff, right? So, you know, another thing that I think we need to understand is, and that we need to keep in mind, is that Jesus' physical gifts are not his greatest gift. Look at it. It's appointed in a man die once. So, What's the greatest gift that we can receive? Is it healing? No, it's not the greatest. Is it a great gift? Yeah, it's a great gift, especially if you need healing. It's a great gift. The greatest gift is salvation. And we get to see this played out in this man's life for his son. He's crying out for his son, for his son to live. His son lives, but he and his household get the benefit of not just a physical gift that was on his son, but a greater gift, which was eternal life through Jesus Christ. All right. Any thoughts? Tony? Well, the, the uh, re reality, reality is that we all struggle with faith here and there. The reality is that that's our nature that when we allow the old nature to come back to the front, that happens. The reality is that Proverbs 3, 5, 6 is clear to trust the Lord and not lean on our understanding to acknowledge His ways. And we struggle with that. And I, I, I like that when the, the verse says to acknowledge His way, because that is trusting. That is what the centurion did. That is what the officer did, the uh, official they acknowledge his ways, and they went on, and, and we struggle with that, and that, that word trust is coming up at the top <laughs> of everything I do, because see, if I'm not trusting God, that's when I, I'm heading in a different direction with faith, but it is when I focus, and this has to do a lot with focus in God that I can see the fruit, I can see the blessings, I can see him working. It is when we accept where we are at and we trust the Lord that he moves on us. Yeah. Anyone else? Joan? Yeah, I just want to share about divine appointment because I believe that wherever Jesus went and people went there was a divine appointment but I want to put it into the day and just share um, something that God showed me as I've been very close as you know with Daira and Kiyomi and the Baker family who's not here today but will be next week and um her mother-in-law her mother said to me this week, it's just kind of hard to believe that um, my granddaughter's going to have surgery. 
and they couldn't find no doctors. But they came to this church. And in sharing with him, it was mentioned that they had gone to doctors no one could help. And we mentioned that Drew was a pediatric surgeon. That's not testifying, that's just sharing. But God is in that. So we got the telephone number to him, he called Drew, and Drew told him about a group of doctors at All Children's Hospital. If he would call this number, they would see her. And they did. And she's going to be having surgery. It wasn't an accident that they came in here. Not a coincidence. And not a coincidence. It was a divine appointment. Mm -hmm. Then they started coming to life group and to Bible study. And then at the beginning of this summer, when life groups quit, and I always liked that break, God just kind of nudged me and said, why don't you ask them if they'd like a Bible study alone? Because I could see that Kiromi knew nothing about the Bible. And they started, so they said yes. And we've had trouble meeting and getting together, but we have gotten together and we have shared. And um, Kiromi said, I met with her alone this last Thursday. She said, you know, I don't know why, but I, was, I didn't want to meet and I was going to go away today. But I just couldn't. That's a divine appointment. We met, and in the process, she accepted Jesus. And she needs a lot of prayer because she accepted as much as she understands. But it's a beginning. And she said, I've gone to six or seven churches. I never feel like I could get in. And I came to your church, and we all feel apart. And I think divine appointments are important. Mm -hmm. And it's not always just telling someone about Jesus. If you are a believer and you share with people, they begin to ask you questions, and then there it goes. Hmm. That's good stuff. All right, well, let me finish up. Oh, did you? Okay. Let me just finish up real quick. Uh, so I mentioned that John said, you know, there's a lot of things that Jesus did, but these signs are written that you might believe that Jesus, Son of God, that you might have life through his name. Well, in verse 54, and Robert brought this out, I'm glad he brought out what he did. It says, this was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Okay, so the first sign that Jesus did was the sign of changing water into wine. And when we talked about that, the big idea of that was transformation. Jesus is coming, is bringing transformation. Transformation from an old system to a new system. Transformation from following God's law, uh, trying to do God's law to God's law dwelling in our life and Christ living in our life, enabling us to do what God is wanting out of our life. So this first sign, the idea was about transformation. And the second sign, the healing of the nobleman's son, does a couple things. It reveals the power in Jesus' word. It reveals the power of the omniscience of God. That, like Robert said, 20 miles away, Jesus didn't even have to be there. There was no boundaries to 
the words of Jesus. And so there's power in Jesus' words, and he grants life through the power of his word. It's amazing how we can pray for somebody here, and they could be wherever, and God touch their life. They're just, there's testimony after testimony after testimony. And then also these first two signs. You know, I don't really know what to think about it all together, but both of the first signs had a certain hidden aspect to them. I mean, the wedding at Canaan, they didn't even understand that Jesus transformed the wine, except those that were carrying it. They're going, whoa, what happened here? Maybe the disciples that were right there that saw it. So there's this hidden aspect. There's also this hidden aspect in, in Jesus telling, I, I'm sure that the whole crowd didn't follow the guy to see if the son was going to get healed. But the guy believed, and his son, 20 miles away, was healed, and those people had no knowledge of what was going on. So, not everything Jesus does is visible to others. But everything Jesus does has the ability to transform us and reveal to us who he is, so that we might believe and find life in his name. Amen?